On this episode of DLN Extend, we talk about the seemingly everlasting debate between the GUI or the terminal. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 42 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community from places like the DLN Discourse Forums, Telegram Group, Discord Server, and more. We also take topics from other shows around the network and give our takes. With me today, you know, when I'm not playing hooky, is Wendy, the camera Jedi of the Destination Linux Network. Wendy, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Fantastic. And the enabler of the Destination Linux Network that gets people to buy things that they should when uh, when they really should be investing and saving, Matt. I would <laughs> never, ever tell you guys to go buy video games and have extra entertainment or weird hardware. You know, last week's show is an example of you helping me find a game during recording. I, I, I See, Matt? I, I don't know what you're inferring, Wendy. I did not tell you to buy it. I just pointed you where to buy it. Matt, you can't. You just can't run away from that label. Matt, the enabler. Oh, yes, I can. <laughs> he can try, but we'll be unsuccessful. I can run away from that label, mate, like you having an actually healthy obsession with Lopensusa because it's unhealthy. Uh huh. Well, that's a matter of opinion, and my counselor says it's fine. So, Wendy, what have you been up to? <laughs> Well, I have mentioned my Samsung tablet on here a few times, and when playing with the settings, I turned on Samsung DeX and was playing with that a little bit. Ooh. For the few people who don't know what that is, it takes it takes the regular Android interface and makes it more laptop-esque with the close and minimize buttons and that kind of thing. On that 11-inch screen, it really isn't that bad to use. I was able to browse the web, do some other things, just kind of play with with it a little bit on a screen that bad or on a screen that size it's really not that bad and I kind of enjoyed the experience would I want to do that on a phone no absolutely not screen size would be way too small you can connect that to a monitor and play with it that way so I'm really curious I need a different connection in order to get it hooked up I need to go USB-C to whatever I can find because my monitor has several different inputs so I would like like to give that a try, not because I'm necessarily going to use my tablet in that style, but it's kind of fun to play with knowing that those features are there and well, why not? So I'm interested in knowing as a desk, do you have access to like a, a breadth of, of Linuxy software on it or is it is it limited or what, what, what where does it point to for repositories? Well, because it is Samsung and a newer one right now, it's still running stock. Eventually, I will probably see if I can't get something else on it. The down side of rooting and roaming Samsung is you have to deal with Odin and it really is a ripping pain in the butt. When it comes to rooting and roaming HTC, Motorola, straight up Google devices, um, and even Sony haven't been bad because you can have full access through the terminal to change things. But with Samsung, you typically have to go through some wonky different software to get stuff unlocked. And that way, it's kind of a pain in the butt, but it was one of those better of two evils. I chose Samsung over Apple because I absolutely loathe the interface, which I mentioned last week. Right. I understand. Yeah. So of those, I've been using it mostly for different work-related things. 
things. Actually, because it has the pen with it, it's now become my workout log. So I've got a tablet in there that I can directly write on to mark what I'm doing, how much weight I use, that kind of stuff. Instead of having old-fashioned paper and pen style. Yeah, that has been lovely. The kids use it all the time for school. Since I've got it, like I said, might as well play with some of these features that it has. Would I use it that way every day? Probably not. But with the keyboard connected, it really is a lightweight ARM-based laptop. So Matt, what have you got going on? Have you been uh, doing any different uh, buying? No, you're not buying games, playing games or playing with crazy hardware? Uh, if crazy hardware, and speaking of Linux, the hardware, PinePhone. I've been messing around with some of the, the more esoteric things that are floating around for PinePhone OS. Well, crazy awesome with PinePhone, yeah. I would say. Crazy awesome. Hey, crazy awesome fun. Uh, that, that's really been my thing right now. Carry the, the Palm phone and the, the OnePlus still around, but the OnePlus OnePlus basically stays in my bag for the most part. The Pine phone is take my distro hopping that I would have done a couple of years ago all the time and put that into a phone. And that's kind of what the Pine phone is for me. It's my distro hopping machine. I tried out Sailfish OS. I tried Loon OS recently. Um, the uh, Mobian was another one. I haven't done like Nix OS or Arch for oh, Arm. Or, but for some reason for me, for uh, the thing I always land, end up landing back on is actually Ubuntu Touch or Ubiports, whatever you want to call it. That that it's always like the one I fall back to. What about just, it? Do you like the most? It's not about what I like the most about it. It's just it feels the most. If, if you're gonna try to cram Linux onto a phone, cool. I don't want the the user experience of a desktop app shrunk down to the size of a phone. It's got the store interface right. It's got the right kind of apps. It's got enough apps where for most people, it can, barring the camera issues, um, this is more Pine phone specific. It's just, it's the one that feels the most complete as a mobile OS to me. Like, you know, you can talk about convergence and all the other great stuff that it can do. Looking at it as like an apples to apples comparison of like, you know, Android or iOS or the various other OSs, it still is the best Linux base option to me. Usage to, to what you can do with the system and all the other stuff. I love it. Uh, it's just, like I said, it's, it just feels the most feature complete to me. And not going to lie, platform-specific applications, I don't mean web apps, work fantastic on it. And they are very well-designed. One of my favorite ones is actually the the Telegram app that they have, which is called Teleports. It's got certain WebOS features where it's like if you um, highlight a current conversation, you swipe one way, it gives you a different list of options to what you're going to do with that that particular conversation. Swipe another way, brings up like the trash can and you can just hit delete. So what have you been up to, Nate, though? Well, uh, a, a lot of fun things, in, in my opinion. The, I would say the, the highlight, you could say, if, if, you may, if I may call this, for my uh, what I've been working or playing with, I should say, because I wouldn't call it work, is I, I installed the latest version of Vice for OpenSUSE. Uh, Vice is the versatile Commodore emulator. For those that don't know. It's basically it's an emulator for all the 8-bit Commodore line computers. So the Commodore 64, VIC-20, PET from the 70s and, and so forth. And uh, I, I've had uh, like I've been using the Flatpak and, and or the Snap from time to time, but I, I had uh, just some little little issues with them. And I don't know if it was like a Snap or Flatpak with OpenSUSE issue or if it was an issue with the the version. But what's uh, what's neat about version 3.5 is they've done a lot of uh, 
uh, improvements to it, not not like major improvements because, you know, there's not really been a whole lot of advancement in 1980s technology. So it's more like refining a lot of the, uh, the usage of it. The interface is now fully GTK3 toolkit. So they've, they've gotten rid of all the G- GTK2. The interface looks a lot better. Mapping of the uh, mapping for the C64 joystick, which is the C64 Maxi or C64 Mini joystick that they use, the USB joystick, is uh, has been added. So it actually recognizes the different buttons and so forth. Now, here's, here's one. Um, it works so much better with pulse audio now there were issues where like there was some like uh, synchronization between the sound being produced by the emulator and the uh and pulse that it just wouldn't work you have to like use the also drivers instead uh the there's a uh, interface improvements for, like uh, changing the the cpu speed which uh you might say well why um and that's so like some growing up in the in north america i was uh, used I was more accustomed to the the uh, 60 hertz of the NTSC experience. So uh, certain games, if I play them with uh, that are actually really really were built for PAL or or Europe, ran at 50 hertz. The screens did. So there's they're a little bit slower. And so when I play certain games, whatever that were are really were, were meant to be PAL, but I played them in NTSC, they seem slow. So I can actually adjust the CPU speed up quite a bit actually. But I can you know, make it so it's more like 60 hertz. And uh, and then it's uh, so it adjusts for 60 hertz, I should say, for uh, 60 FPS, and it, it's more like so. It's more uh, more of an experience like when I was when I was a kid. The uh, they've, they've changed how the joystick controls are, so it's really easy to to change them or to switch between uh, joystick ports. Because the pioneering days of computers, they didn't always use the standard. They didn't always use joystick port two for the player one, which that's that's a whole other discussion. But the uh, but yeah, it made the joystick controls a lot easier. And numerous other little improvements in the underpinnings that I don't fully understand because it has to do with like how the hardware is being emulated and so forth. But um, but anyway, so they, I, I did a little write-up on it. I really like how it runs in OpenSUSE. It's a, a better experience than the Flatpak or the Snap on OpenSUSE. And I was also doing some digging and they build binaries for Windows and OS X. So I guess that's what Mac, what Mac OS, whatever. Uh, they have a build for Android. Uh, they even have a build for MS-DOS. Can you believe that? So it's Pentium optimized wow. <laughs> yeah, of this emulator. And But it doesn't stop there. They have a, a binary for BOS. QNX, I don't even know what that is. OS2, they still build for Solaris. They build for the Amiga. So old, uh, they even build for Atari uh, computers. And here, this you might enjoy this one. They build for GNU Herd as well. This episode of DLN Extended is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. DigitalOcean recently announced new features and services such as a virtual private cloud in all regions, free of charge. This lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. Container Registries is now available to all users. Easily store and manage private container images and push images seamlessly to DigitalOcean's Kubernetes. You can get all of this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. And you can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even some monster-sized droplets for two months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. Well, I just talked about how I, I like my aged hardware and, and how we've seen things progress and, and into graphic user interfaces from terminals. But now, today, there seems to be this continual debate about what's better, the GUI or the terminal. So so what do you think, Matt, is uh, is is most important to learn You know, with, with a computer? Is it just 
understanding the graphic user interface and leaving it there or, or is getting into the underpinnings in and learning how to do things in the terminal actually a better computing experience? I think it depends on the use case as you have the user, honestly. I mean, for me, my thing is I use both. I use the terminal and I use the GUI. I know I've talked about it before. Like one of the, one of the things I do is I have a salient OS machine. So it's basically straight arch, you know, you can get onto whether or not it is or isn't, but it has POMAC, which is the GUI and uh, tool for Pac-Man and stuff from Manjaro, which I'm totally fine with. And guess what? Most of my app installs and most of my updates are actually done through POMAC. If I need to so- go to the, a- if I go to the AUR, I actually use Yaquake and I use the drop down terminal and I just type in, yeah, you know, uh, SYU or whatever. And that's how I update my stuff from the AUR. So you update your stuff from the AUR with the terminal, but when you, you do what with PAMAC, you don't, you can't do that with PAMAC. You can, but I just choose not to, like, I, I don't have, I don't have the, the AUR enabled through PAMAC. Um, so that way when search results come in, it's not through the AUR because I prefer to use maintained repos. Let's put it that way. Wendy, are you, are you really going to give your parents a, uh, you know, hey, type in this command <laughs> into the terminal? No. They're going to they're gonna look at you and be like, oh, huh? I don't do that at all with either my parents or my in-laws. That's just, if it was, there are people that I would. My husband's at my in-laws house and I'm on the phone with him and I'm having him do a system update or checking something on the system. I'll tell him to run a command in the terminal, but I wouldn't have my in-laws run the command in the terminal. My dad is talking about trying Linux on a laptop. He has a Windows 7 system that makes me cringe knowing that it's still on Windows system because it is a dumpster fire of problems and lack of security. When I'm going over, and I'll probably put him on an Ubuntu base, something like that, when I'm going over that kind of stuff with him and showing him how to update the system, I'll show him all of that stuff in the GUI, none of it in the terminal. And, and I think that's that's a the safe way to go for people who are not technology enthusiasts is to use the graphic user interface because they don't really want or care to know for the most part on how to deal with all those little nitinoid things. They just want to get, they just want to complete a task. Exactly. Or update their system or find an application to do something. All of that will be perfectly fine for him in the GUI side of it. I'm totally with you on the side of if you're going to say, okay, this is how you fix the problem without a doubt, say, this is what the command is, but this is also what it means, understanding what it means and what it does is highly important and should be part of the documentation or at least easily linked to big bold letters. You need to figure out what this stuff does at the end of the day. Like, so why is it all of our documentation as an, this is just an example. All our documentation relies solely on, you know, console commands and everything else. Yet there is how many, wikis and man pages and all the other stuff that you go to where we have literally the ability to screenshot you hit print screen and regardless of your de it shows up as a green snapshot upload it and show it from the gui side i'm saying we don't have to have an over-reliance on one without basically telling the other one to go the community that is doing all the tinkering and playing are the ones writing the documentation. They use the terminal. They don't use the GUI. And so that's why all of the documentation is geared towards the terminal. 
you'd need people to purposely go learn the GUI side of it. If you go to an Ubuntu site, doesn't matter which one, even its own documentation, you have two different ways to add, as an example, a PPA. You can add it from the GUI relatively easily, yet everything defaults to the PPA version dropping to the terminal and doing it that way. And that is one of those places where it'd be a good idea to have both examples. I don't disagree with you there. And that I've never is, added a PPA from the GUI. I've always used the terminal, but that and that is kind of what yeah. I'm saying. Like there's certain elements that you can easily just as do as much from the ter- uh, from the GUI, but we always emphasize the terminal. I think that might be because the terminal doesn't really change and it's oh, and those instructions are a lot more evergreen. But when you do instructions via the GUI, GUIs tend to change more often. So it's kind of a moving target that, okay. you know, I know it's going to work in the terminal. If I give you these graphic user interface instructions, those might not be good in six months when there's an update. That that could be the problem. <laughs> do it from, the, from a GUI. Who cares? And I don't know that it is necessarily disregard. I do think that certain aspects of the community that are writing that stuff, that are writing the help articles are not thinking of the GUI option because the way they do it, the the memory for them, how they always go to fix things is in the terminal. So if they are sharing that information, they're going to share how they've done it, how many ever times they know it works really well. It would take them to stop and say, okay, let's add a GUI option where you know that's not how they normally fix the problem. I don't necessarily think it's a disconnect. We're just talking about the people who are working on them and sharing the articles, that's how they do it is in the GUI. So then you're perpetuating the, you have to use the terminal to fix stuff, even though you don't, just because those sharing the information use the terminal. Yeah. Because, so to me, every, it always shows like the, it, it feeds into this, oh, Linux is just the terminal. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, well, oh, Linux isn't all about the terminal yet. Everything we do is in the terminal. Like, like to me, like, you know, if you look at the man pages and the help pages and all the other stuff, it's all terminal based. So it's like we we talk about, oh, no, it's not. Then, yeah, everything we do for like even like like the PPA example. Because I think that here's the issue. The people who generally move to Linux, generally speaking, this is just general. okay? the people who generally move to Linux are are nerds. They're geeks. They are technology enthusiasts. Generally speaking, I'm not saying as as that as a completely. There's some people who just use Linux because it gets the job done and they don't really care about the, you know, the nitnoid things. But anybody who installs an operating system for fun is is a is a bit of an outlier. People who are technology enthusiasts, they want to know how all the little things work, how how the underpinnings work, so they get really di- you know, deep into that. And so, you know, it wasn't I would say it was it was Ubuntu who solved a lot of those those user rubs. You know, I'd say they probably did a lot of a lot of work in the in the mid two thousands to solve a lot of user rubs to make it so anybody could use it. You know, uh, OpenSUSE gets a lot of flack from some areas of the Linux community because their their YAST system for managing everything graphically and also it has equivalents for like NCursus equivalents so you can do, actually do it in the terminal too. They get a lot of flack for that because you know either it looks outdated or it doesn't do things like other distributions do. And so they're tr- they actually do have a enterprise grade tool that solves a lot of those underlying system issues, you know, very well. I know you don't like yes there, Matt, but you know, I mean, not everyone can be helped. 
So I just don't, they, I just don't like the Wi-Fi <laughs> portion of the installer. I know. Why, why use it? I would say you don't need to use it. <laughs> so they actually have a solution for using things graphically that doesn't work on all the distributions because other distributions have not adopted some of those tools. So it's it's kind of a it's a hard thing to so, to to basically say because you have you know the there's the universal Linux way which is the terminal. So is that the better way? Or you have the graphic user interface way, which is not the universal Linux way. It is continually changing. And then if it doesn't change, then it's outdated. You know, so there it's, you know, so it's like, where are developers or people who are investing their time into a passion project? Where are they going to put their, where are they going to put their time? That's really what it boils down to. You know, when I, when I, when I blather on my site about different things of how to do something, I will often show a graphical and a terminal way to do it. But I always say the more fun way, the terminal, here's how you do it. And I explain what you're doing. This, this installs this application. And then I give, I give the command for it, or you can, yeah, go the, yeah. or you can click here and do that. do it this way. So there, there are alternatives that at least I like to provide whenever possible. But again, those are not necessarily going to be the universal ways. I guess what I'm saying is there's basic functionality that seems that can totally be shown, you know, you, you get these articles that are like, oh, how to update your, you know, Ubuntu system, you know, insert distro here, system. And it draw, it immediately goes to the terminal option. It's like, if you're gonna do one of those how-to articles, as an example, if you're doing a how-to and how to update the system when 90% of the time, there's a giant in, okay, in Manjaro's case, uh, it shows, you know, Pomac over in the corner that's giant red. It says, you have updates. Yeah, I've <laughs> like, got the giant red shield in my corner right now. I've got some things to do. Should I do it during the show? Uh, no, because usually it breaks up. <laughs> At least in my experience, but that's a graphical option. And, and instead of, you know, so if you're writing those like how to's on to do something so basic on a Linux system, audience is different than the, like you were talking about, Nate, the, the tinkers and everything else. Terribly, because I learned how to do some of the terminal stuff from those how to's. Right. It builds confidence in I've how to use your system. To help me. Yeah. I've used the cheat sheets to help me figure out what I'm typing when I'm using the Pac-Man package manager. I've used even the cheat sheets for doing Markdown, what we use for our show notes. Mm -hmm. Cheat sheets are awesome. They're definitely there for a reason. Those how-tos that show how to use the terminal have been very valuable to me. So I don't want them to go away, but I agree with the fact that having two options the way Nate does it gives the person who was doing that update, solving that problem, playing with that thing, a way to do it either A, in the terminal or B, in the GUI, however they choose to since the ability to do that is in both places. I'm with the Nate. I think it just has to be a better, like like he's mentioned with OpenSUSE before, I think it just has to be a better mix. Not not so much of one way or the other, but a better mix than what we get. And if you're going to be doing how-tos and stuff for, for the quote-unquote new users, and you are distro-specific, you know, if you know, OpenSUSE or whatever, take your pick. It, most distros kind of standardize, standardize around a specific DE or a preferred DE. Then document it, show it, you know, give both ways. Here's the command. Here's here's how you do it from the GUI, whatever. I, I just think 
for us, it just perpetuates the you need to do everything from the terminal, and it doesn't help us as an overall marketing thing, I guess, is probably the marketing image, whatever you want to call it. And I think Nate and I both agree with you in, especially if you're writing stuff for new users, have a combination of both the GUI and the terminal version so you can choose the way you do it. But if you want this thing to change, there are people with the mindset of needing a GUI option that need to help out in writing that stuff or you're not going to see a change. I'll be the first to say, you know, I might be the one complaining about it, quote unquote. I think my thing is it's more of a concern to bring up in that I don't think because people are so down in the, I don't want to say down in the weeds, but so looking at it from their own perspective that sometimes they don't look outside of that perspective. If that makes sense. So like if you're always in the and terminal. That's very easy for all of us to do. Yeah. And I th- and so it's one of those things that I don't think if it's just brought up at least. It's like, hey, you guys do realize we don't have a lot of like gooey documentation for like how to do this, right? It, it might at least start a conversation. I'm not saying like I'm going to be the one to change it or, you know, X, Y, or Z person should change it. It's just like, hey, can we have a conversation at least about this? Like, can we show a little more gooey options and that kind of stuff on, on some of the documentation? And at least have a community discussion about it and be like, you know, no, we prefer the terminal way because it's universal. Okay, cool. Whatever. At least there was a discussion had about it. Instead, it's just kind of like it's it's ignored a lot from what I've seen. I think it's a, that's a mix. I, I've seen it talked about and I've also quite a bit, but I think that it's not that it's ignored. It's just not brought up very often. I, mean, I think it could be, but it's just not. It has to be. People have to push for it. And so I think I think if um, if it's something that that you personally I mean, because you can only do so much. You can't change all of all of Linux, all, the entire Linux, everything. You know, so there's an area. Um, I think, for, especially for individuals, especially listening to this, you know, this podcast, you say, you know, I wish there was better graphical documentation on X, Y, or Z. It it doesn't hurt to send out an email and and ask for that because I I know me personally, I have done I've updated documentation based on what people have sent me. You know that they don't know, or you know, could you show me some examples? I've had some great conversations with people, you know, because of that. So I think maybe a little more engagement by the community. Maybe to bridge some of that, because I think it could be. I know there is obviously a learning curve with the terminal. I try to I try to bridge that myself personally. But for people who who just need the graphic user interface, you know, if they just maybe identify those areas so they can be one by one improved, that that would be how I would go after that. How how I look at it. This episode of DLN Extend is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitward is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentications such as a master password and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. There are many reasons why I chose Bitwarden as my personal password manager. One of those reasons, it is 100% open source. You can also self-host your Bitwarden instance. They also offer security audits to make sure your passwords are as secure as they can possibly be. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. They offer an, a premium account for just $10 per year. What do you get with that premium account? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, or Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, Priority Customer Support. 
Make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. If you're like me though, you'll want that premium account for just $10 per year to support this amazing open source software. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. So Matt, since you decided that the terminal is best for everybody and we should get rid of all graphic user interfaces, what uh, what have you been in, in, into uh, in the terminal these days? <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be a terminal game, right? Actually. Speechless. No, actually, I have something that I can throw back at you. <laughs> Please yeah, do. there's the yeah, there's this terminal app for gamer OS called Termite, which you can install using a GUI. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love to use GUIs for doing installing terminal apps. Yeah. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, the thing I've been actually doing is being an enabler like usual. Of course. And I've been playing. <gasps> you admitted it. You admitted uh, yep. it. I don't know what you're right talking down, about. Write down that timestamp in the show right now. So actually, I've been playing uh, Shadows Awakening. Now, this is um, by the same guys that did Vikings, Wolves of Midgard. So it is a isometric action RPG, very much in like the Diablo 2 kind of wake, but very story focused. So uh, I contacted these guys and just like kind of said, Hey, thanks for making Vikings world of Midgard. And they're like, Oh, cool. Thanks. Glad the Lions users liked it. And you can try, you should be trying our second game. Unfortunately, it doesn't have a Linux build. And I was like, okay, the challenge accepted. Thank you. Valve proton <laughs> compatibility layer <laughs> because it yeah. works and it works out of the box. Um, I've enjoyed it very much in the vein of those older isometric games that I liked as action RPGs. And it looks really, really nice. And this came out in originally 2014. And then they had some publisher issues that was a back and forth. And then they finally got the rights back up a year or two ago. And then they uh, started finalizing the game and stuff finally. Really fun game. Uh, really enjoy it. Like the art style. Uh, it's just very atmospheric and stuff. So definitely one I like. And the the, the developer, ironically, the creative director, Ironically enough, he's like, oh, thanks for the info. So I don't know. Maybe we might get a uh, officially supported version from these guys if we uh, show them some love. So I, I kind of wonder, though, if if developers, if they actually build against Proton and, and work to make their games compatible with Proton, would you count that as Linux compatibility or is that not considered native at all to you? So like, if, if they actually build their application to work, like they actually test it, and, and make it official against Proton, would that make it... I mean, it seems like that'd be an easier step for them, would it not? It, it would be an easier step because Proton has more of a Windows environment that they would be more familiar with. Um, as far as what I would I consider that official support, yes, because it works on my platform. I don't care what backend magic makes it work. But yeah, I would think it was support if they were working, making, making I, sure that it worked with proton yeah i would i would consider it like would i consider it, consider it official linux support yes <laughs> short answer is it okay. you know it, like nitty gritty is it officially linux support no but is it does it work on my platform and are they supporting making it playable on my platform then to me then it's it, it, you're supporting my platform 
the technical way of getting it running, I don't care. So you don't care about the implementation detail as long as the final product works well. Yes. And if there's an issue, like, you know, there's bugs or whatever, and they're fixing them, then, hey, that would be officially supported, would it not? I would say so. That's kind of where I stand with how I view Proton and all the other stuff is, especially when it comes to official support. I'm not one to argue native, non-native. I, I don't care. I would argue it's just a runtime. And and I think we have seen some some uh, statistics that show that games in Proton, some of them do run faster on Linux than they do on, on Windows. And we've seen that some games that run native on Linux, generically speaking, that run native on Linux are actually slower than the Proton versions. Some of that, some of that has to do with the, the older games being OpenGL as opposed to Vulkan, though, in fairness. Well, I might be an enabler of games. Somebody's on a show that enables me to spend more money than me buying games, and that is Hardware Addicts. And Wendy, why are you making me look at new hardware now again? I am not making you look at new hardware, though you did recently ask me a camera question and you came to me with that. <laughs> I don't know what you're inferring. But never, right? Never. But I did find me a used laptop that fits into that category that I've been talking about earlier on in the past shows. And that is something that has lightweight, easy to use, touchscreen compatibility, but runs 100% Linux. I was going through my favorite pawn shop yesterday and I came across this HP X2 detachable. One of the things that I love about this is it's got a nice solid hard case all the way around. I believe it's even aluminum. So really pretty sturdy. Even the keyboard is super sturdy. I like the way that the screen attaches and detaches. So there's two little tabs, one on each side that goes into the bottom of the screen. Plus it has a really nice magnet that keeps the two together. Touchscreen functionality seems to be working pretty good. When I bought it, of course, it had Windows 10 on it, brought it home, plugged in the charger. It does have USB-C charging. Very awesome that way. Very too. awesome. Plugged it in the charger, went through the Windows startup crap, got the BIOS uploaded, and then I put, of course, Manjaro with KDE on it. So the, the kids have been playing with it a little bit. I'm really impressed with how well the touchscreen functionality is working really good. Going back to maybe last week's topic a bit, KDE does have some built-in touchscreen additional functionality, so you can choose if you swipe from different directions, things that will pull up. So I'm still playing with that. The touchscreen settings are still new to me and the fun that I can have with that. I've really been liking it so far. Now, is this a super monster machine? Absolutely not. It only has an Intel Atom X5 Z8350. Mm. It is four cores, but base frequency is 1.44 gigahertz and they can burst up to 1.92. So it isn't anything major, only four gigs of RAM. And I know I've talked about in the past that I think four gigs is less in that area where eight is kind of the minimum. But I got this on a great deal. Um, currently, if you were to buy this laptop new, because I did check prices, and of course, prices right now are absolutely outrageous, but 550 bucks. I got mm. it used. There is some scuffs and that kind of stuff, but I got it used for 200 flat. 
Now, the way I see it, scuffs, you know, you know, you don't have to put your own scuffs in it. It comes comes pre-scuffed. So it that's actually a bonus. You got extra. Exactly. Extra, um, <laughs> what, what, what is that called? Uh, character? Um, whatever, it something some like flair, that. Some, yeah, it gets some flair. Yeah, it gets flair. Some uniqueness. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm not too worried about this one being stuck in a backpack or kind of tossed around like that. That's exactly what I got it for. This machine will probably end up being mostly used by my daughter to, like I said, put in her backpack, take it to do notes on whatever. You can get graphic style pens to go with these. This one originally came with one. If I'd bought it new, it would have one. I've started looking into maybe getting a replacement, though I don't know that I will go with the official HP pen. I believe it needs drivers that only work with uh -huh, Windows, but I will be doing some looking to see if there are some backdoor ways to get the HP one to work to go ahead and get that one or maybe get an off-brand pen so she can still use it for taking some physical notes and that kind of thing on. Really, this is exactly one of the things that I was looking for and I was so glad that I went in there and spotted it. I'm curious to see over time how well it actually works and holds up to different things. Uh, one of the games my kids like to play for school is Prodigy. So it is an online math-based game where you go fight battles. And in order to cast your spell, you have to solve the math problem. I absolutely love this game. My youngest, who's six years old, he enjoys this game so much that I will catch him playing it on the weekends, right? He absolutely loves to play this. Uh. He was playing it a little bit yesterday on the tablet and it all seemed to be working really good. We heard not the screen. It was detached. So it was in tablet form playing the game on inside Firefox full screen. So just like it would look if it was the app on any one of the other tablets and it was running great. So we'll see how it continues to work. I'll definitely update you on this, but it was a fantastic find for our homeschool. That sounds like a fantastic find. So Nate, what have you been up to this last week? I guess two weeks since we missed you last week. Well, I wouldn't say I've been missing you, Bob. Um, yeah. So la uh, what I... <laughs> Well, a couple of things, really. I'll just talk about one of them now. But I got a, uh, to make home uh, care a little bit easier, you know, keeping dust and such down. We've talked about vacuums in the past. And so I um, I purchased a Ryobi cordless stick vacuum, which I kind of sort of modified so I can uh, use a DeWalt battery on it. But that's neither here nor there. You just can't charge it with a DeWalt battery. But the, um, it actually works great. I like it. It's uh, it's a little bit, a little bit on the heavy side, but I don't mind that. You know, it's a little, I guess you can make it, I can call it another workout, I suppose. But uh, in using it, um, I I seized up the roller, like the roller head in there, like it just, it stopped. And like I had a red light in the front of it and it just stopped working. Um, all the things that led up to that, it's not important. But anyway, the, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, you know, testing out. Mm, seeing how, I'm you know, very curious into this I, story now. You know, I would, you know, serve it a hot supper, see how, see how it worked out. But Anyway, the uh, it it stopped working. I tried to I took the roller out. I, I cl I've cleaned it multiple times, so it's not like I let it left it dirty or clogged up or anything. And the actual like roll the part that drives the roller head is totally seized up, and I have no idea why. And I don't think I'm at fault on this because you know it. it I don't think I'm at fault on this, but um, and I might be, but I don't think so. So I um I I took you know just I took it apart. I tried I tried moving it like with um you know like getting a tool in there because I couldn't do it with my fingers and it wasn't really moving. And so I just thought I'd stop, and I called. Ryobi customer service, you know, they will, you know, they have a thing. If it, if it breaks, don't take it back to the store, call them. And so I called them and I said, Hey, I was using it. And, uh, and the roller stopped, you know, rolling and it just got a red light in there. And so 
um, they said, okay, we'll send you a new roller head for it. So the whole the head assembly, so it just kind of connects onto the, the tube or the stick part of it, I suppose. And then they said, well, would you like to talk to technical support? Because I said, you know, I, um, it's back ordered. It's like, it's back ordered or out of stock, whatever it's going to be, you know, it can be up to a month before I get a replacement. And so I, I said, sure, if I could talk to technical support, that'd be great. So they sent me tech, technical support and, uh, and they told me that the, the head is not serviceable. It does have a belt in there, but nothing is serviceable. You can't take it apart. And I said, oh, you can't take it apart, huh? Okay. All right. Thanks. <laughs> so right now on my workbench, I have it sitting. I have not yet torn taken apart. it apart. Not torn apart yet. Cause I just, just, this all just happened yesterday. So I haven't had time yet to, get, to go there because, you know, work and everything else. But yeah. So I'm going to tear that apart. I would actually like to do a video on it since I haven't seen anything, anybody tear one apart. Uh, maybe I can be the first one and I can probably get a whole 50 views out of it. So I'm really excited about that. And, uh, and just, you know, see, see how it's put together just to, just to see. Because the thing is all seized up, it's broken. They don't want it back. I'm going to get a new one, so I have nothing to lose at this point. So I'm, I'm pretty excited yeah, about to that. Just tinker with it, and kind of play. Yeah, right. You know, just to, just to see. It's got a bunch of um, you know, oddball screws. I think some are like security torques screws. But I, of course, I have I have those. Yeah, that's so that's that's what I what, what I've done. I, I was excited. It's, it's kind of felt a little bit like you know Christmas story. Got the Red Rider BB gun, and then I shot my eye out and I broke it. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram, in Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels and all of our shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. For more information on where you can find me, you can go to cubiclenate.com. Links to my regular written blatherings, podcast, and YouTube channel can be found there. You can find my random ramblings on Twitter at MattDLN. You were able to find me at Twitter, but... It kind of kicked me off already, so I still have no social oh, media network. I will let you know when I find something, <laughs> have it all set up, and it'll let me use it. We'll be back next week with another fantastic episode of Deal and Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone. 